1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not uh, please God. And are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but the wrath of God has come upon them to the uttermost. And Father, I pray you would help us to understand how this, these words that Paul wrote to this church apply to us as a church and as individuals. Lord, we, we pray every week, and we, we mean it every week. We need you to speak to us. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is living and active, and that's exactly what you desire to do, to speak to us by your Holy Spirit. So teach us, we pray. Encourage us, we pray. Build our faith, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees says, Amen. Amen. If you've been praying for any amount of time, then you've probably had the experience where you feel like you're praying and no one's listening. Or you're praying and you're thinking, why doesn't God say something back to me? It, there's times when we feel, even as believers, wherever you are on this journey, whether you've been a Christian forever, yeah, you, you're just kind of seeking this Jesus stuff for the first time, or you're just maybe even coming back to investigate this stuff again. The truth is, we've all been in a place where we thought, God, why don't you speak? We want to hear from you. We've all been there. Well, I've got good news for you, because the truth is, God has spoken. And what we see in 1 Thessalonians is Paul is just again thanking God for this church, because they have received the message that he brought, his team brought, as the very words of God. They believe God had spoken. And we want to we think about this today. We want to think about has God spoken? How do we know God has spoken? How should we respond to what God has said? Why is it important that God has spoken? And so this, this text gives us a great chance to do this. And, and I want to be kind of honest, especially to sort of give you some hope, because sometimes I know you, you can think, how long is this guy going to go? And I'm going to spend a lot of time in verse 13. So if I'm in verse 13 for like 20 minutes, and you're thinking, oh no, he's only on verse 13. <laughs> be of good cheer. It will soon be done. <laughs> But it's important that we understand the importance of the Scriptures. In fact, our, our very salvation is connected to our understanding and our view of the Scriptures. Paul says this, he wrote this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, but this gospel, or by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly the word I preach to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. And this is the word he preached, that Christ died for our sins, notice, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. 
And so Paul, according to Paul, what he says is that our very salvation is tied up with how we see this God who's spoken. Do we see that this God has spoken? And so as we look at what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, we, we get this idea, we begin to sort of get our head around how important it is to see that God has indeed spoken. So, uh, going back to verse 13. Paul writes this, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. He says, Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Now the first thing, I'm going to give you three main things that are important for us about how we should respond to God's word. The first thing is this, believing God's word brings change. It's not just about more information, it's about transformation. It brings change. And what we mean by believing God's word, what Paul meant when he wrote to the, the Thessalonians about believing God's word was they believed that God speaks. They believed that. It means believing that God speaks, that we're talking about the creator of the universe who actually communicates with the people he's created. How do we know this? Well, if we look at all the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, we see throughout there this declaration that God has indeed spoken. The Bible starts with God speaking. Genesis 1-3 says this, Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God speaks creatively. When God speaks, things happen. There was nothing God said, light, and there was light. God created out of nothing with his spoken word. This is what the Bible declares. that we, 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 Our first sort of introduction to God in Scripture is the God who speaks and he creates. And you can read the whole creation account in Genesis 1 and you'll see this is what God does. He speaks and there was. God creates. But also in, in Psalm, 1, uh, Psalm chapter 19, the psalmist writes about creation and how creation itself speaks. Not just that God created uh, or spoke creation into existence, but through creation there's something that God's communicating. Psalm 19 verses 1 to 4 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. The scripture does not try to prove the existence of God. It assumes the existence of God because of creation. It says we look at creation and we think, gosh, there's order, there's beauty, there's design, and we think there's got to be a designer, an orderly designer, a beautiful designer, a good designer. So creation itself speaks. So God speaks creatively. The Bible shows us that. But more than that, listen, the Bible teaches us that God spoke, he has spoken authoritatively. If you continue in Psalm 19, this is what it says. Notice, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And so the psalmist is celebrating the scriptures, the, the, the law specifically, the first five books of the Bible. And he doesn't just say the, the, the law does this and the, and the testimony does this and the statutes do this. He says the law of the Lord, the, statutes, uh, the testimony of the Lord. In other words, these things that were spoken were spoken by God. God wanted these things done. They're, they're written in his authority. 
And you see that throughout Scripture. Now, one of the reasons that we as Christians, as Jesus followers, hold fast to the authority of Scripture is because Jesus seemed to have hold fast to the authority of Scripture. Jesus treated the, the, the Old Testament as if it was God's authoritative word. Therefore, as following him, we treat the Old Testament as God's authoritative word. Does that mean we always understand what it means? No. Does that mean we always know how to apply it? No, not necessarily. But we endeavor to that direction. Why? Because God has spoken authoritatively. Not only that, God speaks or God has spoken historically. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Now, we have to understand the ministry of a, of a prophet, especially an Old Testament prophet. Don't worry, we'll talk about New Testament prophets when we get to chapter 5. But right now, we're talking about Old Testament prophets, because there is a difference. And the way an Old Testament prophet spoke was, he would, he would be a, a man who would have been knowledgeable in the scriptures in that five, first five books of Moses. He would have known what God had already said through Moses, what had been passed down. Um, he, he would have been someone who, who read that, who studied that, who meditated or thought about that over and over again. And someone called by God then to speak a specific word that wouldn't contradict what God had already said, but he would speak a, a specific word to a specific people at a specific time. He would speak prophetically. In other words, that God was speaking in a timely way. So when we see God spoke historically, we mean God didn't just say, here's some principles, I'll let you figure out how it works. God would send prophets to speak to his people to say, this is how you are not applying what I said. Or this is how you can know that what I said still stands. Are you following me? So we're not talking about just some antiquated ideas or stories. The scripture handles itself as God has spoken historically so that we can know how he wants to deal with certain situations. And also with this verse in Hebrews 1, we see that God has given his final word through Jesus. That the, the kind of conclusive word where God says, it all sums up here, is with Jesus. Now, we see that the author of Hebrews wrote this. But we also see that Jesus himself talked about this. Jesus talked about how all the scripture points back to him. So he's the final word. God has spoken historically. This is what's also unique about the Christian faith. Because we're not talking about someone who says, hey, I have some ideas from God, and I claim they're from God, and you should just believe me because if you don't, you're in trouble. That's not how Jesus came. Jesus came and he did speak historically. He came and said, look, I am God's only son. I'm going to do the things that only a God's only son could do. And I'm going to predict how you're going to respond. And when that happens, you're going to know that I am indeed who I said I am. Because you know how they responded to, to God come in the flesh? They crucified him. They said, nah, we won't have that. And they crucified him. God has spoken historically. But also, and this is maybe where we really need to get our head around, is God has also spoken, or God speaks continually. God speaks personally. God speaks personally. What do we mean by that? In John's gospel, it begins this way, very similar to the way Genesis begins. John says, let's go back to the beginning, even before Genesis, in a sense, and here's what he writes. In John 1.1, 1, 1, 
He writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when we say, when I, what I'm saying to you is, when we say God spoke, uh, speaks personally, we're not just saying that there have been these men who claim to be uh, holy men, who claim to have heard from God, but we have Jesus who came and said, I am God in human flesh, clothed in human flesh, the only God, not a God, the God, the only God, clothed in human flesh, the creator God, and I've come to communicate with you. There was a song, I can't remember who sang it, a pop song back in the 90s that said, what, what if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on a bus, la-di-da. <laughs> and it's funny, like, what if? Well, God came that way. Jesus pierced history. God the Son pierced history to say, here I am. I, I will say to you right here that one of the main reasons why I believe that in the existence of God is because of Jesus Christ. If, if Jesus would have came on the scene, I don't think I would believe that there is a God. I would wish there was. I would wonder if there is. I don't think I could be an atheist. It takes too much faith to be an atheist. But I probably would be an agnostic if it wasn't for Jesus. I'd probably doubt the existence of God or I'd wonder if we could know about the existence of God. But because of Jesus, I am sure God is real because he pierced history and said, here I am. This is what we mean when we say God speaks personally. But, but not just that. Here's a really interesting, there's a really interesting section of scripture in, in Luke chapter 24 where we see Jesus speaking personally. This is Jesus after he's been resurrected. So remember, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to show you that I'm God the Son and you're going to respond by, by rejecting me, crucifying me, but I'm going to rise again three days from the, uh, later. And so he did all that. After he's done all that, he's, he's resurrected. People have already seen him resurrected. And he meets two of the disciples as they're walking to this little village called Emmaus. And as he's walking with them, they don't recognize that it's Jesus. But here's what happens. It says, then, then the resurrected Christ said to these two men, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to have entered his glory? And notice it says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expanded to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He does this, and then of course, they end up going to this house, and they're going to break bread, and Jesus breaks bread, and they go, oh man, that's Jesus, and he disappears. And they're like, what? And so what happens? Here's what they say after that happens. They said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while, we t while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So when we talk about that God speaks personally, what we mean is, is that not only that God himself has come to this earth and spoken, but God speaks now. And it's profoundly important that when the resurrected Christ says, I want to speak to my disciples, he doesn't just show up again and say, here I am. He does that, but he doesn't just do that. What he does, he says, I'm going to teach you from the scriptures who I am. Because though we don't have the resurrected Christ bodily here with us, he's coming soon, but he's not here yet, we do have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, who speaks to us now every time we open up the scriptures. And he speaks to us personally. This is what we mean 
by believing God speaks. Now, this is what Paul, this is how Paul presented Jesus. This is how Paul presented the scriptures when he went to Thessalonica. He presented them to them, not just a God, but the God who has revealed himself through his word, both the written word and the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. He's revealed himself through his word. These guys had to come to a place where they believe God speaks creatively, authoritative, historically, and personally. Now Paul says that when he spoke, when he spent this three weeks or six weeks, however long it was, and he spoke to these people, what happened was they were receiving this. They were, the word he uses is welcomes this as if God was speaking directly to him. And Jesus talks about how he says that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You see, what we, we really want you to understand, and what we really pray you experience when you come on a Sunday morning, is you experience what the Thessalonians experience. Not just a, a study where you get more information. Information is important, but we want more than that. We are praying that you hear God speak to you. Why? Because we believe God speaks. These guys believed they were believing God speaks. But also, listen, God's word was bringing change in life, not because they just believed God spoke, but also because they believed they needed to hear from God. They needed to hear from God. Interesting. In Jesus' ministry, he, he would often call and exhort his audience to hear. He would say, hear the word of the Lord, or hear what I say. And he was often fond of this phrase in Matthew 11, 11.15, he was really fond of this phrase where he said, where is it? There it is. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In fact, it's, it's used in Matthew 11.15 and then seven more times in the Gospels. That same exact phrase. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And what he means is not, hey, do you actually have ears or have yours been cut off? That's not the question he's asking. <laughs> what he really means is this. He says, listen, are, do you know you need to hear from God? Do you know you need to hear from God? You see, guys, listen, when we talk about God, the God of the scriptures isn't waiting for us to figure him out. He's waiting for us to realize we can't. He's ready, waiting for us to realize, God, I need you to speak to me. Because if you don't speak to me, I don't know anything that's worth anything. And the good news is God has spoken. Interesting. In the book of Revelation, uh, we see that in the Revelation, you have Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you have these letters to these seven churches that were, again, the resurrected Christ, the glorified Christ, speaking to John on the island of Patmos, and he's, John's kind of dictating these letters. And this is the phrase that gets used over and over again in Revelation chapter 2, actually Revelation 2, 7, and then also through chapters 2 and 3, where it says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Notice what the Spirit says to the churches. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus didn't say, he has an ear to hear, let him hear as a resurrected Christ. He says, hear what the Spirit is saying as you're reading this word that's been written down for your benefit. Do you hear right now what the Spirit is saying to you? Do you recognize that you need God to be the one who speaks? And you just need to be listening. See, believing God's word brings change, but that means we've got to believe that God speaks. And it means that we've got to believe that we need to hear from him. Again, this is used eight times in the book of Revelation, mostly in chapters 2 and 3, but another time towards the end of the book where it says, He who has ears 
to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says. Now, but also, listen, Paul writes to these guys in verse 13. He says, he, when he speaks about them receiving the word, they weren't just going, man, Paul's so interesting. I'm really interested in what he has. says. He has so, so many interesting things to say. That's not what they were doing. They were receiving what Paul was saying as the word of God, and it was changing their lives. Paul says, which also speaks in verse 13 of the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. He says God's word is a living word, but it's also a working word. God's word is transforming us when we submit to ourselves underneath it. When we submit to God underneath his word, he changes us. Listen to how Paul talks about the gospel, which is kind of the summary of God's word. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the good news about, about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. And then later on in the same book, Paul writes this in, in, in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, Don't copy the behavior or customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Listen, by changing the way you think then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We need to change the way our, we think. Guys, listen, Paul was so excited about the Thessalonians because they heard what God said, received it as God saying it, and said, God, change me accordingly. Servants Church, this is why we spend a big portion of our time hearing God's word. Not just because we want to have fat heads, but we want to have changed hearts. We want God to change our hearts. Believing God's word brings that change. But Paul makes it clear, verse 14, that following God's word has a cost. He says in verse 14, listen, he says, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. When he says being imitators, he's, he's basically, obviously these guys weren't in Judea. They were in a, in a completely other part of the Mediterranean world. If you remember the map from the first week there, kind of down on the uh, Aegean Sea, kind of the edge of the Aegean Sea. But what's, what he's talking about here is that, that, that you guys were willing to do and willing to experience what the first Jewish believers were willing to experience. In other words, these, as a Gentile church, were willing to follow the right Jewish example. Now, we have to understand the first followers of Jesus. Well, let me, maybe I need to back up. We have to understand that Jesus was Jewish and the, and the Jewish Messiah for the Jews. You guys get that, right? We, we forget that sometimes. Unless you have a Jewish background, we forget. Jesus was a Jew who came to save Jews, right? That's what he came first and foremost for. He is the prophesied Messiah. The Old Testament prophesies about this God's chosen king coming. And he fulfilled those prophecies. And so he comes, and the first people he's ministering to, therefore, are Jews. Now, the Jews were always kind of blown away. His disciples specifically were all Jewish, and they're all blown away by how he would also minister to Gentiles. They thought, what are you doing? You're ministering to a Gentile. Of course, this was like, you know, a preview of things to come. But, but the, the first believers were Jews. And guess who were the first to persecute those Jewish believers? Jews. <laughs> so those who didn't believe persecuted those who did believe. Now here's what's amazing. The first Jesus followers saw it as an honor 
to be persecuted for Jesus. But listen to what the scripture says. In Acts chapter uh, 5, verse 41, it says, The apostles had left this high council. This, they're getting told off by these leading Jewish men. He says, They left the high council. I should say, too, they got beat up for this as well. <laughs> uh, rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. They were willing to do this. So what Paul's saying here in verse 14 is, you know what, You're, you guys are imitating the first believers, the first Jesus followers, those churches in Judea, because they were willing to suffer for the truth of what God says, and you're willing to suffer for the truth of what God says. We have to understand this, because believing God's word, following God's word, has a cost. Have you ever wondered why this book is illegal in many countries? A lot of the countries where this book has been made illegal uh, were countries that said it's ridiculous, it's all fables. Well, then how come it's illegal if it's just all fables? But the reason it's illegal is because even people who don't believe it recognize that the ideas here are radically dangerous. They're dangerous because they speak of a God who's created all and is over all, who is the one we're accountable to, we're all accountable to. You know what that means? That means that no government is the highest power. God is. Do you realize that democracy was not invented by Christians, but the reasons Christians, especially the Reformed Christians in the, from like the third, uh, I'm sorry, from like the 12th century on, why they were kind of learning, leaning towards democracy was because they realized all of mankind is equal under God. That's not an American idea. That was way before America. That mankind is equal under God. He's the ultimate authority. What does that say when government says, hey, we're the ultimate authority, do what we say? It undermines that. And they don't like it. Totalitarian governments specifically don't want any competition. And so they want to ban this book because of that idea. This idea is also, or this, this book is also pretty radically dangerous And that it calls us to a radical allegiance Look at what Paul says in the, in the second part of verse 14. He says, this is the imitation. He says, for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. You suffered for this. You guys, realize, do you realize that Jesus prepared his followers for this kind of suffering, for this kind of rejection? Read the, read the Gospels. If you read the Gospels, you, know, you find out that this is exactly what he prepared them for. Listen to this. In, in Matthew chapter 10, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says to his disciples, Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father to his child, and children will rise up against parents and, uh, and cause them to be put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures, endures to the end will be saved. So Jesus says, it's not just going to be like outsiders outside the church are going to hate you, or those outside your tribe. He's saying your own family is going to ostracize you. You need to expect this. This is heavy. Now, is he saying this is always going to happen for every believer in this way? No, not necessarily. I, I can testify that, that my uh, family, who aren't believers, um, they were annoyed because I was sharing Jesus with them a bit, maybe overzealously at first. They were annoyed with me at times. We've had disagreements about stuff at times. But overall, they, they don't persecute me. They're quite proud of me. In fact, it's funny because uh, uh, there, we had a time a few years ago, we were all standing around my brother's custom uh, fire pit in his back garden and we're, we're having a chat and one of the guys that's there says, you know, 
what's the point of life? I don't know what the meaning of life is. And I'm sitting there going, this is an opportunity. You know, I should say something. <laughs> and, uh, and I was just about to say something. And my brother says, you know, I think the meaning of life is what Johnny found. And they all lifted up their beers. So like, right on, Johnny. You're doing the right thing. We should follow you. I'm like, whoa, I don't need that to witness. This is awesome. <laughs> so, so they're actually quite complimentary and quite uh, encouraging. So they're not always always hateful. But you know what? For most people around the world, they're going to find conflict within their family when they decide to follow Jesus. They're going to think you're nuts. They're going to think you're weird. They're going to think you're in a cult. That's what my mom thought when I first became a Christian. Oh no, he's in a cult. Do you know why she thought I was in a cult? Because I had changed so drastically. She didn't like that I was a womanizer as a teenager. She didn't like that I, I would get drunk. She didn't like that I got in fights. She didn't like that stuff. But as I was cleaning up my life before as a Christian, she thought, okay, he's mellowing out. He's growing up. It's fine. He'll be okay. But then what happens? All of a sudden I say, Mom, I met Jesus. She's like, oh, no, he's gone nuts. <laughs> and she was, she was freaked out for a long, long time. But after 10 years of seeing that the change was real and it was good and it, it, it caused me to love people, she eventually herself professed faith in Christ. And this is the thing too. How that happens is that God changes us, not just by us being willing to suffer for his word, but also listen to this. Jesus prepared his disciples by telling them this. Listen, he says, I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, be, uh, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus prepared his followers for persecution by saying, be prepared to love the people that persecute you. See, we don't fight back. As Jesus followers, we don't fight back. We pray, we love, we serve. And God uses that to show them that this book is credible. It's believable. This gospel is true. Following God's word has a cost. Lastly, maybe the most soberly, rejecting God's word has a consequence. In verse 15, Paul writes, speaking of the Judeans, he's talking about now those unbelieving Jews who persecuted the Jews who believed. He says, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. Now the scripture is very clear that though the Jews had him arrested, the Romans killed them. I think the Bible testifies clearly that all men are guilty of the blood of Jesus, not just the Jews. You have to understand that. Anti-Semitism is anti-Bible. You need to know that. So if you have a problem with the Jews because they're Jewish, you got a problem with the Word of God as well. You just need to know that. But they, no doubt, they still did persecute Jesus. They crucified Jesus, though he knew that would happen, and he, wanted to, he was willing to go there. But also they persecuted others. And he says, listen, they had, had done this in, in the past. Israel was known for killing their own prophets, he says in verse 15, and have persecuted us, he says, and they do not please God. Now he says that because they thought by persecuting Christians, by killing Jesus, they were pleasing God. That's what they thought. Now, this is the thing. Because often the, 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 the persecution we experience as those who believe God's word comes from religious people. Sometimes even people who call themselves Christians. I've had Christians who get annoyed with me because they'll say that they're Jesus followers and then we'll have a conversation and I'll find out they believe something that's completely contrary to God's word. I'm not talking about a secondary issue. I'm talking about an issue that is, is affects salvation, affects us being right with God. 
And I'll say, oh, bro, you know, I think you got to be careful. You know, the scripture actually says this. Can I, can I show you this? And they'll, okay. And I'll show them and they'll go, man, you know what? I, I, I believe what I believe. You believe what you believe. And they get frustrated. I'm like, whoa, whoa. You said you believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. You said you believe the word. I believe the word. I'm just saying, what, what's the word say? We, we, we got to take God at his word. We don't want to do things that God says, don't do these things. And we don't want to ignore things that God says, this is for your freedom. What does God say? It's amazing how often that can happen. And this is an interesting thing, because what we have here is we, have, we see this over and over again, not just with the Jews, but we see this even with religious people. Religion, when we're religious, it can actually blind us to the truth of what God says. And this is what Paul says about the Jews, about Israel in general. Listen to this. In, uh, in Romans chapter 10, Paul says, I bear Israel witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. That is, being right with God through faith in Jesus. He says, listen, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, listen, our being religious, thinking it's what I do that makes me right with God. It's me keeping all God's commandments that makes me right with God. That mindset, that religious mindset actually blinds us from the grace of God. It keeps us from knowing God as He is. And Paul's wanting these guys to, to say, this is what the Jews have done. They've blinded themselves. Because this is what people do all the time. This is what we, we call you not to do. Hey, we take God's word so seriously. You know that. We, we, teach God's, we teach through whole books of the Bible on purpose so we can't skip the bits that are difficult. But listen, you're not going to be right with God based on you doing all the right things. The righteousness of God is a gift that he gives us through faith in Jesus because Jesus is the righteous one, the only righteous one. And it's his works and it's his death and it's his resurrection, and it's his ascension, and it's his return that guarantees us the world that we all want. Now these Jews rejected this. And so Paul says about them, listen, he says that these guys, the end of verse 15, he says, and these are all, are, these, uh, and are contrary to all men. This is why. This is why they're contrary to humanity. Because they for, they're forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So the Jews were persecuting Paul and his crew and were persecuting the Thessalonians, as well as the Thessalonians persecuting the Thessalonians. But the Jews were doing that because they didn't want more Gentiles converted. They would rather have the Gentiles worship their pagan gods than to worship Jesus who saves. scary see here's the problem with religion guys religion can can hinder others from the love of god jesus had some strong words for the most religious of his day listen to this in matthew chapter 23 jesus said in matthew 23 woe to you scribes and pharisees he's been the religious experts of his day Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, that's one convert, and when he is one, you have made him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Jesus said that. Whoa, that's heavy. You have all this zeal for God, you want people to follow what you follow, 
but you're just guaranteeing their place in hell because you're not helping them see me, is what Jesus would say. Only in him is their salvation. In fact, he says, Paul says, very sobering words, he says, and, and so as always, in verse 16, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Now, when Paul uses this idea of wrath, we're going to talk more about this when we go on into um, uh, Thessalonians, but he, wrath is this idea of a final judgment. In this context, it's the idea there's a final judgment where God, who is angry at injustice, as we should be, as we are, we might not always agree with God what justice is, but we're all angry at injustice. No one's more angry about injustice than God is. And God's going to do something about injustice. And so the wrath is a reference to that time when Jesus comes back and judges the world. Now listen, this is important. It's really important. What Paul is saying here is that this wrath has come upon them because they rejected the gospel of Jesus. Do you understand? The wrath of God is not upon them because they're not sincere. They are sincere. The wrath of God is not upon them because they're zealous. They are, they're not zealous. They are zealous. The wrath of God has come upon them, has not come upon them because they're not religious. They are religious. The wrath of God has come upon them because they reject the only way any of us can be right with God through what Jesus has done. People hate this. People hate this because they hate what this says about us. It's so unflattering, isn't it? I want to believe that I'm a good guy. I want to believe that, you know, that I'm not as bad as some and I'm better than most. I, I want to believe that God's going to smile at me just because, hey, I try really hard. I want to believe that. And don't get me wrong, God's pleased when we, by faith, seek to be obedient. No doubt about that. But the only way we can be right with that God is by receiving what he's done for us through Jesus. To reject that is to stay in a place we already are. Judged by the righteous God. Because guess what, guys? We're unjust. We don't love as we should. We don't do as we should. This is hard, isn't it? It's hard to hear this. It's hard to preach this. It's not a popular message, but it's truth. It's what God says. And the question really is, is how are we going to respond? Again, Jesus in Matthew 23 says to these religious leaders, he says, serpents, brood of vipers. Jesus is saying this, okay? Jesus. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, he says, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of, you, some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Wow. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying to the Jews of his day, he's saying, listen, you want to act like, oh, we never crucify the prophets. 
Oh, we never crucify the Messiah. You're crazy, Jesus. We would never do that. He's like, dude, you guys have been doing this your entire history. God sends you prophets because you go astray and you kill them. You throw them in prison. This is what you do. You cut Isaiah in half. You threw Jeremiah in a cistern. Let him die in the mud. This is, this is your history, religious people. He's saying to them. Guys, listen. Listen. What God is saying to us, what Paul is rejoicing in, is that the Thessalonians didn't do that. That when God spoke to them, yeah, it was not flattering. He said that earlier, didn't he? It wasn't flattering. It didn't always feel good. But they thought, that's true. Our hearts burn within us. That's true. Jesus is who we have to trust. He's who we have to put our faith in. Listen. These things aren't always, these things are really never easy to receive. In fact, you need to know even Jesus' first disciples, the guys that he handpicked to follow him, there were times when they were like, oh my goodness, what are we doing with this guy? There was a time when Jesus was preaching, you can read about it in John chapter 6, and he was saying things, because you know, Jesus drew crowds. He was such a great preacher. He drew these huge crowds. Thousands of people came to hear him, without amplification, came to hear him preach. And he preached tough messages. They came to hear him preach. But one time he's talking about something that they just can't stomach. And so everyone starts to walk away. They go, Paul, wait, this is okay. Jesus, you went too far. They walk away from Jesus. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them, do you want to go as well? What did Peter say? Lord, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? We've been down all these other roads. We've been down the road of religion. It's empty. We've been down the road of self-righteousness. We can't be good enough. We did been down the road of living for self. It just brings destruction to ourselves and our families. Where else are we going to go? See, guys, listen. We just, we're here not just because we want you to understand more information. We're here because we want you to know the God of the Bible, the God who became flesh and dwelt among us. The word. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to ask the music team to come forward as you guys all bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to encourage you to have a, a reverent attitude right now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You're thinking about what we've talked about. Please, even if you're not sure if you believe this stuff yet, can you just show some reverence with us and bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to ask the ushers to bring the communion elements to either side of the front area. So if the ushers can help do that. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want you to think about what we've talked about today. Hard stuff to hear, I know. But I want to say first and foremost to, to you who see Servants Church as your home, I want to say I give thanks for you as Paul did for the Thessalonians. Because you endure like really long Bible studies every week. <laughs> you want to hear what God has to say. And I see God changing you like he's changing me and I think, God, you're so good. So I want to say thank you, God, for these people. 
But I also want to encourage you, Servants Church, you who are already believers, are you exposing yourself to God's Word on a daily basis? Are you prayerfully reading the Word and saying, God, I need you to speak to me? Are you willing to do what God says because you trust this God who saved you through Jesus? Do you believe that God spoke creatively, created the world, uh, worlds with his word? Do you believe that God spoke authoritatively? We can trust what he says and it's, it's, it's what we base our life on. Do you believe that God has spoken historically? And are you hearing God speak personally? God wants to change you. He wants to meet with you. He wants to make you able to enjoy him forever. Trust him. For you who are not yet believers, for you who are either maybe just kind of investigating stuff afresh or you're looking into this stuff for the first time, I really want to encourage you with something. I have... Uh, eight copies of a book that I want to, uh, I'll give away free to you. It's a book called Can You Really Trust the Bible? It's a good introductory uh, work on this subject. If you are here and you're going, okay, I don't know though, I can still trust this book. Well, this, this book will help you trust the scriptures, help you understand why you can trust the scriptures. And you can have it for free as long as you actually read it. Don't just take it and go, oh, well, maybe. No, if you're going to read it, take it. It's only 82 pages, I think. But I also, if you're here today and you're going, no, I, I can see that, that God has spoken. I think God is speaking to me personally now. And the question is, how are you going to respond? You see, you can respond to him right now. So many times when we see in the scriptures where Jesus was speaking and people would say, Lord, have mercy on me. And he would. He would heal them or he would forgive them. But he would meet them where they're at and he'd bring them into a right relationship with God. We see in the book of Acts where Paul and his team and others are preaching the gospel, talking about who Jesus is and, and, the, and these people hear and, and God's speaking to their hearts and they say things like, what must I do to be saved? How can I be right with this God you talk about? And they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If God is speaking to you today, if he's speaking to you today, respond to him. If you're going, man, I need to be right with God, how do I do it? Respond to him, say, God, save me. Speak to me. Help me know you as you are. With everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray a prayer that if this is your heart, especially for the first time, you can just pray this right where you're seated. It's, there's no magic in these words. It's just a way to help you to know how to pray, to how to ask God to save you. So you can just pray this under your breath or in your heart. Father, I believe that you sent Jesus. And I believe you sent Jesus because I needed him to die for me. And I believe I needed him to die for me because I've sinned against you. And I believe that he rose from the dead 
And so I ask, because of him, would you save me? And would you begin that work of changing me from the inside out? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I receive what Jesus did for me on the cross as enough to make me right with you. And I pray for his glory. Amen.